from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Let's get ready to rumble! It's time for Laughbox! Man, I am so stoked to share this week's interview with you. Ah, oh, man, what I love about this association is that you get to meet so many cool people. Kind of humor icons, people that I hold up on a pedestal, and that is my guest this week. I get to talk to my good friend Alan Klein. He's been on the podcast before, but this week we're talking about his new book, so I know you're really going to enjoy it. Now, you can meet Alan and other cool people just like him if you come to the conference. When's the conference, you ask? Well, it is the 4th through the 7th of April, right outside Chicago, the Windy City. If you live in the Midwest, easy to get to. If you don't live in the Midwest, still easy to get to. Heck, shoot me an email. I'll come pick you up at the airport. So make sure you go to aath.org and check it out. Now, let's get on and let's get to talking to Alan. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, it's just a really cool day for me because within AATH, you get to meet a lot of really neat people. But my, the person I get to interview today, I, I, pretty, I hold in pretty high esteem in that when I was working on my master's and I read his, you know, uh, his book, The Healing Power of Humor, really changed my perspective of a lot of things. And then when I joined the association, I got to meet him, and now... I'd consider us friends and uh, not the kind of friend I'd ask for money from, but certainly I'd ask for advice. I get to talk to Alan Klein. Welcome, Alan, to uh, the, the podcast. Thank you. And how do you know I'd give you money? <laughs> that's, why, that's why I wouldn't ask. It's, I, don't want, I don't want to live in that world where it's like... You know, <laughs> I would give you money, of course. <laughs> if, if you needed it, I would give it to you. But you don't need it. You're so rich and famous yourself now that you don't you don't need the money i think you've got me confused with somebody else but <laughs> now i know you pretty well i mean we've actually we've been on a cruise together we've eaten dinner together we've drinking vodka together uh but for my listeners if you could just give them you know a little bit of background on who this man alan klein is well i am the world's only jollytologist and uh, I actually invented that word. And then since then, there's a humorologist, a happyologist, an enthusiologist. So, but I'm the world's only jollytologist, um, kind of like proctologist, but in humor. I got a whole different visual on that one now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing we're not on um, video here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I um, got into humor because my wife passed away at 34, had a rare liver disease um, since she was 31, and had a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And we can get into that a little more as, as we talk about my new book. But um, I found that Yuma helped me so much to get through that difficult time and through my grief. 
And so I went, I gave a business I had in San Francisco. I went back to school to learn about um, therapeutic humor and um, got a master's degree in human, H-U-M-A-N development, but my thesis was The Healing Power of Humor, which became my first book, although the writing was different than my thesis. Right. Um, So I've been doing this stuff for over, I don't know, 25 years. Still doing it. Happy to do it. Um, Keeps me going. Yeah. And uh, I love, love doing it. Love meeting people in the humor world, helping people, uh, getting incredible feedback, um, you know, how humor has helped uh, people going through major, major uh, difficult in their life and so you know I teach it speak all over the world about it although now I'm doing more writing than speaking and so I have two books coming out this year one of them we'll talk about today embracing life after loss and that book shows people how to go from loss to laughter in five different what I call five different stages right right and I yeah and I hopefully we'll have time to delve a little bit into each one of those stages Uh, before we get into our conversation I'm just going to ask you just a random question just to get our conversation going so they are making a movie the Alan Klein story who what actor would you want to play you oh Chip Lutz of course It's so funny you ask that because every now and then a question comes up, actually. And uh, I think, well, who would play my daughter? Who would play my wife? Mm -hmm. Who would play me is a little harder. Um, Maybe I'm too close to me. Uh, Who would play me? You know, Robert Redford's way too old. I, um, I don't know. You have any thoughts? Oh, I have no idea. I was, you know, thinking that uh, maybe Bradley Cooper would be a good start for the young Alan. Actually, his name, when you said that, it came up for me too. Yeah, he'd play the young Alan Klein, you know. He'll have to lose all his hair, though. (laughs) Because I was bald since high school. So, well, you see, if he's a method actor, he'll do it. See, so he'll yeah. he'll 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 dig deep and get into it. Now, yeah. now you've put out, gosh, I mean, you seems like, I mean, uh, how many books have you written? I mean, you've got a whole list. Well, embracing life after loss is actually number twenty-seven. Wow. Now, some of that, uh, to be totally honest here, are revamps of uh, books that went out of print. Mm-hmm. And they so they have uh, new um, publishers, new look, new introduction, sometimes new material in them. Okay. Well, if you talk about titles, there's 27 titles published. All right. And your first one, um, Healing Power of Humor, how long? That's been out for a, what? Almost what? Yeah, you know, I think I've heard of that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's been, I mean... It, okay, 1989, that was... Okay, fun. wow. So and how so many years? My math is terrible. That's a long... So you're coming out, it's a, like a 30-year anniversary this year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, wow. It's time to celebrate. Time to celebrate 30 years of making a difference. That's awesome. How could that be when I'm only 29? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a miracle. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm very proud of that book. It's God knows it's so sell, I don't know, selling sold over, um, I don't know, approaching 60,000 copies and has been translated into nine different foreign languages. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's, and that's still amazing. going strong. It's amazing when I look at Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's like still up there, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, sometimes 12 or number 10 in, in humor books. That is amazing. And that, uh, like I said, it, it changed a lot of my perspectives on things. And uh, it was even cooler when I got to meet you in person. So let's, uh, let's delve into, you know, your new book, Embracing Life After Loss. Um, what's, because I think, you know, anytime, you know, even for somebody like, like you, it, that's put, like you that's put you know 27 books together um each book is it's kind of a labor of love you're doing it for a reason um what was the catalyst for you putting this whole book together making money (laughs) 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 i just i'm yeah it would be nice Uh, (laughs) um so I guess this book uh, goes back to when my wife was seriously ill, terminal illness, and we dealt with that for three years. After mm-hmm. she died, uh, Chip, I would I would look to grief books for comfort. Mm-hmm. And what I would find is, first of all, they were huge. They were two to 300 pages, um, very dense. They would tell me how terrible I'm going to feel uh, during my grief, that I may I may lose my appetite, I might not sleep, I might be depressed for a while, and so actually years later I thought, you know, those books never helped me. Right. They they were awful. Um, I, you know, when I'm grieving, I'd want something that would lift me up, that right. would encourage me, that was easy to read that um that i could just open to almost any place in the book and get some encouraging words inspiring words for that day right and so when i thought about that i thought you know there was no book that i could find on the market that was like that Mm -hmm. and so that's when i and i put together this book and i wanted to show people because you know on the world's only jollytologist how even loss um, we, we can start to grow through loss and eventually start living again and laughing again. Right. And so that's why this book has the five stages uh, of first losing, uh, realizing you've lost someone you love, and then learning from that experience. Because I think um, death can be our greatest teacher, how to live more fully. Right. And then the third step is letting go because you got to let go to move on. Otherwise you get stuck in, in whatever it is, uh, your grief or uh, your anger, whatever it is, you get stuck there. Mm-hmm. And then finally start to live again, to look for things that bring you joy and happiness. And then eventually to start laughing again. And going back to what you said before on it, it being a book that uh, was a little more uplifting when I was reading it, that's exactly what I got from it is that, you know, each, you know, each page I was reading is like, I, you know, something, a little nugget I could take from that and thinking about, you know, things that I, you know, I wish this had been around when my dad passed. It was just, you know, um, uh, you know, I, cause I went through you know, all these things and, you know, I think 
all of us, you know, some of us are a little more resilient and depending on the loss that you're dealing with, it might be a little more, a little more heavy than, you know, other losses. But I think that you hit the mark on making it uh, something people can actually use versus them reading it saying, you know, yeah, I am feeling crappy. This isn't doing doing anything for me. Right. And that's what I wanted. And I also wanted it simple. It's why the um, subtitle is called A Gentle Guide Mm -hmm. for Growing Through Grief. Because I didn't want it complicated. Grief is complicated enough in itself. Right. I just wanted it simple. And I wanted people to realize they don't have to get stuck in there, that it's difficult time in their life, hard time but that it could also help them grow, uh, maybe become more loving, more caring, more empathetic, um, realize more about their life, that they need to get on with their life and accomplish what they want to in their life. So it's a way, it could be a lesson on how to grow. Um. Well, and I think a, a lesson on how to live. I mean, I love the way you started out the book, you know, with the story about, you know, your cousin Bernice and, you know, when, you know, you were a little kid and she would fly and, you know, you'd ask her um, if, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm not, I don't have it in front of me here on, uh, you know, it wasn't she ever afraid or a plane would crash and you, she, and she said, well, hopefully yeah. on the way back because I don't want to miss a moment of my vacation. That, yeah, I mean, that I just, I thought about that when I read it, I was like, what a great way to, to look at life is to grasp, you know, yeah. every moment you can. She, she lived her life that way. It's like every moment was precious and she, um, you know, like she would get uh, on a plane coming back from vacation. She'd land at 6 a.m. that she can go and change her clothes and go right to work mm-hmm. rather than coming in like the night before to sleep in her own bed um, just so that she wouldn't miss a day of that precious vacation. Um, and, and she lived her life that, that way all the time. So uh, at a funeral, um, you know, it was just, it was sad, but I also, it was a lesson on how I could live my life and enjoy every moment. Well, I, I took that from it as well. I was just like, you know, man, I wish I would have known Bernice. Yeah. Oh, you would have loved her. Full of life. Just full of life. Yeah. Yeah. Those people are always, they're always great to be around and they just fill the room with so much, uh, so much life. Yeah, and I think um, it was her mom, too, that taught her kids that. Mm-hmm. Um, my Aunt Jessie, she was really a, a character. She, um, in fact, I don't know, you probably don't remember, you're too young, uh, Truth or Consequences. With oh, Ralph I Edwards. yeah, I remember Truth or Consequences. Well, she was in the audience once, and she got called on stage to do this number, whatever they called it, and there were like five men and five women and the thing was you had, the women had to take the men's shirt off as quickly as possible and that would be the winner. <laughs> and so what she did, she just grabbed the guy's shirt and just ripped it off him. And the, got the audience so hysterical and some of her offbeat comments, the audience was just laughing their heads off. So after the show, they came to her and said, ma'am, how would you like to travel with us and be a plant in the audience and come on stage, uh, you know, during the show to get the audience laughing. Uh, that's how funny she was. She couldn't do it because she was raising two kids by mm-hmm. herself. But um, that's the kind of, of humor she had. And 
Bernie's once told me that she lives by her mom's, I guess, motto or rule of the day or, or whatever you want to call it. But that is, uh, my Aunt Jessie told my cousin Bernie's that she needs to make at least one person happy every single day. Wow. And that's what Bernie's did, more than one person usually every single day. That's a great strategy for each day. That is a great strategy. Yeah. Now, um, if you don't mind, can we delve a little bit into the different steps you have for the, the, in the book or, you know, the stages and just, you know, oh, yeah. hit, a, hit a couple of the highlights of each one that, you know, you think, yeah. I mean, they're all really good, but some that you think are maybe like the, um, like some of the keys of, you know, that particular, um, stage. Right. Like, well, in, uh, yeah, step one or stage one, uh, losing that, that we need to realize that, um, we can't live forever. Right. That everyone that's born dies, you know, and the Bible even said, you know, there's a time to live and a time to die. Um, mm -hmm. So it's part of life. Um, as Woody Allen once said, birth is a fatal disease. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that's all part of life. And I think we need to realize that. Um, and one of the things, because I recently had this experience, is that, and, and one of the little chapters here is when you least expect them. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about tears there, because tears happen a lot when you're grieving. Um, we can talk about later, tears and laughter are very close, but mm -hmm. tears happen and that's okay. It's a way of healing. It's actually a way of getting toxins out. There's a lot of toxins in, in tears. But um, I had an experience uh, not too long ago. I was doing a book signing, and I went into the bookstore, and there was a woman at the counter sobbing her head off, just sobbing away. And I asked the person behind the counter, why is she crying? And they said, well, her husband died the other day. She came into our store to get a book on grief, and the clerk was very um, curt with her. Mm -hmm and got her upset and she came back to tell the owner that and just start sobbing again and, and wasn't stopping. And I was there to check out my AV to do a book signing uh, the next day. And so I went up to her and I said, I used to be a hospice volunteer. Would you like to talk about what's going on? And we sat in the corner and we chatted for quite a while. And I told her, you know, when my wife died, Tears would just come up at any time. I never knew when. So like I was walking to work and I would pass the Bank of America building in San Francisco and I would start to cry. And I had no idea why. I, there was no connection between Ellen, my wife, and Bank of America. So I comforted her and I said, maybe, you know, you can go and, and get into a grief support group might help you. Mm -hmm. And I finally calmed her down. But, you know, things happen when we lose someone, and it's all part of the process. Right, right. And so we need to, we need to realize that um, it's part of the process, and the things are going to happen, but that we can eventually um, get through them. We'll be right back with that interview with Alan, but now it's time for Fun Facts. 
Fun Facts is where I share facts about humor, laughter, sometimes the absurd, but this week it is about laughter. And this week's fact is, humans laughed before they spoke. This is from ReadersDigest.com. It says, scientists believe that laughter was used as a way for humans to relate to one another millions of years before they developed the lung strength for language. The mechanism of laughter is so ingrained in our brains that babies as young as 17 days old have been observed doing it. So how about that? Yeah, I love a laughing baby. I am a laughing baby. So you got a fun fact you want to share? Shoot me an email at chip at unconventionalleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's get back to Alan. Yeah, I remember reading that in your book on the your Bank of America story, and I just it made me think of here just how a few weeks ago um, I was in church and we were singing this song. It was a song that we would sing in church when I was growing up, and my dad would be next to me, and it wasn't my dad's favorite song. However, when he would sing it because it had such a strange um, uh, 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 melody line, he would have to change octaves all the time. And all of a sudden, I was like, you know, I, I had this like swell of emotion. I started, I started crying. It's like I didn't cry. I mean. It, when he passed a few years ago, but never, not since then, really. And it was just, yeah, a, it was, a, it yeah. was just an interesting, you know, it, that's what made me think of is that sometimes, you know, those waves come back and you just never know when they're going to come. Exactly. The other thing about losing is to realize, as I said a moment ago, death is part of life. Yes. And just imagine, Chip, if no one ever died, what this world would be like. It would be not enough food, not enough, um, places to live, um, not enough energy to support everyone. No parking places. <laughs> no parking places. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it's, it's a little hard to imagine, but in right. a way, this may sound a little crass, but um, uh, death is kind of like nature's vacuum cleaner, you yeah. know? It's like making space for other people to come in the world. Right, right, and that's a good uh, a good way to look about um, look at it. And I, I also like in the uh, in your book when you were talking about you know when you remembering some uh, remembering that person you know a part of them really it it remains around it remains or it doesn't go away. I mean I, I like that because a lot of times we think of loss as being so final, but it, we keep their memory alive. We share their stories with other people. Um, you know, a piece right. of that person a piece of that person stays around. Yeah, I, in fact. To address that, I'd like to read a short little um, wise uh, words here from the poet Gibran. Oh, absolutely. He said, the lights of stars that were extinguished ages ago still reach us. So it is with great men who died centuries ago. And here I think he could be talking about your loved one too. Mm -hmm. But still reach us with the radiation of their personalities. So that person is still around. Um, uh, you know, they're still with us. I remember when I did my very first uh, humor workshop. It was at the school I was teaching at, Holistic Life University. And um, it was a three-hour program. I put it together. I'd never done a humor workshop before. And... I looked in the one point I looked up and there in the corner of the room was somebody that looked exactly like my deceased wife. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was taken back. I like, you know, stopped for a moment. I was shocked. And I thought, well, I can't go over to her now. I'm, I'm in the middle of this workshop, but when there's a break, I'll go over and, and chat with her because this is really amazing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so um, I started to go over at the break and somebody tapped me on the shoulder to ask a question. I turned around and when I turned back, the woman was gone and never came back after the break. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this was my wife telling me that what I'm doing to honor her actually was okay and then they needed to continue doing it because i almost failed speech in college i was not a natural speaker (laughs) Uh, yeah to become a professional speaker for 25 years after almost failing speech in college (laughs) is kind of weird but that's um, funny but there you know was a sign to me i believe in signs and this was a sign that everything's okay Mm -hmm. that i'm honoring her spirit by doing this work and that she's still around to support me and she'll be there forever. Now, with that kind of realization, I need it, I mean, with the realization of loss and the acceptance of loss, you know, it, with that, it, I assume that helps you move into, you know, the stage, the next stage of, you know, actually learning. Right. And the thing about learn, this past Sunday, I did a talk at Unity, um, which is a spiritual center. And I talked about divine order, mm-hmm. divine presence, that we are, even though most of us don't know it, and I believe a lot of people listening may not, but that we are guided. You know, I was guided to do the humor work. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I almost failed speech in college, and yet here I am, you know, professional speaker. Mm-hmm. And I asked the audience, how many of you have experienced some dark time in your life? And nearly everyone, I think everyone in the audience raised their hand. Mm -hmm. And then I asked them, how many of you in hindsight have found that that dark experience, uh, you either found some positive in it or you learned something about it or yourself or has changed, changed you as a person dramatically? And again, I think everyone in the audience raised their hand. So we don't know why things happen to us, but in hindsight, we can look back and often we see the reason. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I bring that up because it's like um, realizing during the loss that this could be a time when I will grow, grow through it and um, I, can lear- I can learn through this experience. Right. And I like it in your book, how, you know, you, you, uh, had a little excerpt in there about finding, you know, finding that meaning and you, you know, you quoted some, uh, some work from Victor Frankl cause, cause I'm a big Victor Frankl fan. So I was like, yeah, I love it. Go Alan. Yeah. Yeah. So Victor <laughs> Frankl, you know, Victor Frankl concentration camp and survived that. And he talks about using a little bit of humor every day, but basically his underlying thing was, um, attitude. Right. That we control our own, control our own attitude no matter what. Um, I, I did a whole weekend retreat with burn survivors. And, and uh, it, was, it was a hard thing for me to accept that gig because I thought, how am I going to work with these people with hardly any face or no hands? Or, you know, how am I going to do that? And what could I tell them about lightening up? They, you know, they've been through the dramatic, painful experience right and yet um they showed me during the weekend um joy so much joy i mean this one black man got up and didn't say anything all weekend in the last process we did on sunday he got up and he did a rap song and dance 
Wow. And just so joyful. Um, so they taught me um, about uh, using uh, lightning up even in the darkest of times. That is amazing. And, it, and I would have the same kind of ideas in my head going into the same, if I was doing a workshop like that, I, you know, and so it's amazing. It, it's kind of neat that sometimes, you know, when you're in a teaching mode, you sometimes you get taught. Oh yeah. Oh, and they taught me about unconditional love. I mean, one man taking care of this, probably a man in his mid twenties or early thirties, totally burnt. Mm-hmm. And how his partner was just so caring and loving and mopping his brow or taking the blanket on or off or adjusting the pillow or timing the medication or giving him water and Mm -hmm. just amazing unconditional love. So they taught me (laughs) so much that weekend. It was a highlight of my career. Uh, the, The highlight. That's amazing. Like and well, a, especially in a, career as long, a, a career as long as yours, I guess one of, but certainly <laughs> near near the top of the list. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Now shifting into the the further stages, do you think that like like the next stage on letting go and you know living and then learning to laugh? Do you think that like on the letting go part that for me? some of that, there might be a little bit of fear on people's part on actually kind of letting go of their grief that in, in an essence, you know, by letting go of that, maybe they're letting the person down or, you know, how do they, how do you work through that? Well, when I was a hospice volunteer, I would ask people about their loss and the person they lost mm-hmm. and how they'd want that, that person that had died how they think that 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 person would want the survivor to live Mm -hmm. and nearly every time they said they'd want the survivor to be happy and joyous and live their life to the fullest and so the way to do that you can't do that if you're holding on to um, the loss i remember working with one um, woman young woman probably in her 30s her mother died And for two years, she was just so down, so upset about it. And I realized, you know, the light bulb went off on me that what I saw was um, two people were lost. One, the mother who died and the daughter whose life had kind of totally stopped. Right. And so at some point, we could still mourn that person, but we got to let go. We got to, you know, maybe the tears will come from time to time, but we've got to move on with our life. Um, And I think, you know, people say, well, how do you let go of that? I think a couple of things. One is forgiving, forgiving yourself for maybe not doing the most you could do for not um, keeping that person alive, if that's the case. Uh, Forgiving yourself, forgiving others for maybe not being around for you. Um, But forgiving. And the other is to be grateful for what you do have instead of um, for what you don't have. Right. So be, well, great, be grateful that you still, you're still alive, that maybe you have a great job, a place to live, uh, children, another spouse, friends, um, whatever it is, uh, just be grateful for that. Uh, a great teacher of mine once said, to want what you don't have is to waste what you do have. 
Wow. You're just like a chock full of great, great nuggets. Today. That's awesome. Oh, I really liked when I was reading through and I was reading the chapters on forgiveness. Um, I like that you put on there forgiving yourself and, you know, maybe sometimes forgiving yourself for the things that you didn't say to that person as far as appreciating them when they were there. Cause I, I see that so much with people that, you know, the, the, I wish I would have told them this. I wish I would have said that. I wish I would have done this is that, you know, what's done is done. You can't live back there. I mean, you've got to forgive yourself for that. I mean, most of the time they knew how you felt. They knew that you loved them. Right. You, you can't, um, you know, you do the best you can, you know, and, and it was not in your power to um, keep that person alive. So uh, you need, you need to forgive her. You, you can't move on if you're carrying that around with you. Yeah, I love absolutely. what Ann Landers said, and I have this quote in the book. Hanging on to resentment is letting someone you despise live rent-free in your mind. True, yeah. true statement right there. Absolutely. You need to let go. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're stuck in that, uh, in that uh, down, depressed, um, upsetting mode. Right. So how do you get on with living then? Well, I think the other thing is to rejoice in the person's life that had lived rather than mourn, you know, keep mourning it. And I love what the Talmud said, which is one of the Jewish books um, of learning. Mm -hmm. And so if I can find that, (laughs) I thought it was right here. And it is not. So, (laughs) oh, I'm going to have the wrong page. No wonder. There it is. So, this is under the section Rejoice in a Life Lived. When a child is born, all rejoice. When someone dies, all weep. But it makes just as much sense, if not more, to rejoice at the end of life as at the beginning. For no one can tell what events await a newborn child, but when a mortal dies, he has successfully completed a journey. Wow. So celebrate, celebrate life. Absolutely. When I die, by the way, just so you know, Chip, I want everyone to have bubbles because I love bubbles and to blow bubbles. I will, I will, is it, is it BYOB? Is it bring your own bubbles? <laughs> and, and brandy. <laughs> <laughs> bring your own bubbles and brandy. Bubbles and brandy, I love it. <laughs> I can see the Facebook invites. Come, come to Alan's bubbles and brandy. Um, you know, right. Yeah. That's so awesome. living, stage four, living. We've gone through losing, learning, letting go and we're up to living yes so when my wife died uh, one of the, one of the little sections i hear is is get out of the house because and what i mean by that is when people are grieving uh, maybe they're depressed they don't want to see anyone they don't want to do anything mm-hmm. and i think one of the ways to start putting grief behind them is to start doing things again and so when my wife died I said to my daughter, who was um, 10 at the time, 10 and a half, that we need an adventure, that we've been through 
very difficult time for three years. And so I booked an inland passage cruise through Alaska. Mm-hmm. And we uh, slept overnight on a glacier and we saw puffins and we did white water rafting and we took a two-seated plane and landed on a lake in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And it was such an incredible, you know, I hadn't planned this, but it bonded us. It helped us talk about my wife and her mother. Mm -hmm. Um, We still do. We talk about the puffins uh, in Alaska. And it was one of the greatest things intuitively that I did after my wife died um, to help my daughter and I kind of um, get put that little behind us and start enjoying life again. And I love the analogy you had in your book with the seashells that so you had, you know, you had those seashells in the closet and that, uh, you know, from being in the closet, they, you know, had kind of lost their luster from when um, you had first gotten them. And that, you know, sometimes it's the same with us, you know, we need to get out to kind of keep our luster. Right. Yeah. On the beach, you know, they were fat, gleaming and shiny. And then in the jar, they kind of lost all that. So Yeah. Get out of the house, do things, do things you love, start a list of things that bring you pleasure and start to do that. Now, looking at the last stage on, you know, laughing again, you know, I like how you kind of started out with the whole concept of, you know, with, you know, how can I laugh at a time like this? And, you know, a lot of times we, people have such a negative, um, connotation or negative view of, you know, laughing, you know, during the grieving process and you know, I like that you have it on there that, you know, it, that it's, I think it's important for our overall growth through the process. Well, often people feel guilty, you know, that like they're dishonoring their loved one, but I think it's kind of the opposite. Um, you're showing your loved one that um, you're getting on with your life. And the other thing about, in fact, I think it should be, how can you not laugh at a time like this? Because right. As you know, Chip, laughter is such a great um, healing tool and physical benefits um, from it. You get more air in your lungs, and and sometimes when you're grieving, you're like shallow breathing, and this would be heavier breathing. It's a great tension release, and when you're grieving, you're really tense sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's so many physical benefits that laughter can provide at this really what I think is an important time to use laughter and hardly anybody talks about that. Right. Um, thinking about that, what are some strategies people can use to actually add a little more laughter in their life, you know, when they're you know, trying to push through to the other side? So um, one is just look for the humor around you. I'm not a great big fan of jokes, although I did end this book with some jokes because um, I felt that people, you know, I wanted to oil the the mechanism and get people started. So there are some, but uh, I think I, I like to see the humor that's all around. And of course, if you're grieving, you may not see that, but it is truly there. Or get a friend, uh, I call it a humor buddy, uh, that you can call every day or send uh, a cartoon via email. Uh, there's so much humor. If you're on the internet, there's so much humor there um, mm-hmm. on Facebook or Gigglebox or um, just just look for it. Funny movies that you can rent or go out with a friend, make a date to, to go to a funny movie. 
Um, and you know, my favorite, you know, is a clown nose, a red clown nose, because you put that on, you look in the mirror, and even if you don't laugh, you might smile because you look that way. And that's just the first step, I think, on the road to uh, laughter. I agree. I agree. Well, I tell you what, Mr. Klein, it is always such a joy talking to you. I, I, like I said, I hold you like in such high esteem. Now, after today, people are looking to get this book, you know, because um, I think we're able to put this out before the release date of the book. You know, where do they, where do they go and where do you want them to connect with you? Okay, so they can go on Amazon, they can get the book, um, hard copy of it, or uh, it's in Kindle, they can get it that way on Amazon. They can connect with me on my website, which is www.allenkline.com. Just make sure they spell it right, A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. All right. All right. Now I added a new section to the show here a few episodes ago that I call the, I like to end with called the fast five, where I just ask you, ask you five questions and you just give me your first response. Are you ready, Mr. Klein? I am ready. All right. First question, Alan Klein, who's your favorite comedian? Rita Rudner. Really? Oh, I, that's, <laughs> that's, that's uh, I didn't know you were supposed to comment on <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's, it's, it's just it's just a good one. It's like not one that um, I I think about, but she is really good. So that's awesome, and it makes yeah. me want to like go on YouTube and look for some real. Yeah, she is great and clean, by the way, clean. All right, second question: What's your go-to funny movie? Oh, uh, Sleeper. Oh, that is a good one. All right, what's then, your, yeah? Go ahead. What's your favorite yeah, kind Woody of Allen these days? Is not politically correct but i still like sleeper <laughs> good movie what's your favorite kind of comedy oh slapstick really okay <laughs> well it's neat you well, because i like these questions because i get a you know a little a little insights into uh you know the comedic mind of alan silly Klein. silly i guess silly not just slap but kind of silly uh humor all right you and i are stranded in an airport what do we talk about uh, we talk about the people passing by. We make up stories about them. That's one of my favorite things. I hope we get stuck in an airport. All right. <laughs> now, knowing that, my last question is usually, uh, what's your favorite joke? But knowing that you don't like jokes, um, what's your like uh, funny situation? Because I know you like situational you know, stories. Well, you know, I'll tell you my favorite joke. Okay, um, great. So this, uh, these animals were out in the field. You might like this because you're in, in where Wisconsin with lots of uh, cows and stuff. So <laughs> uh, the sheep says to the cow, moo. And the cow says, why are you saying moo? You're sheep, you're supposed to say ba. And the sheep says, yeah, but I'm learning a foreign language. I like that one. I like that one. Nice. Not Very good. Laughter, but I could remember it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. No, I've heard that one before. It's a good one. Well, again, thanks so much for spending a little time with me today. Like I said, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. It is, uh, it is fabulous. And um, I appreciate your asking me to do this, Chuck.
What'd I tell you, Alan Klein is the M-A-N man. Love that guy. So much great information. It's so just, so genuine. I'm going to encourage you to connect with Alan. I'm going to tell you to go and order his book. Now, you can get it early. Uh, Pre-order it. Uh, you can wait till it comes out uh, in the middle of March, or you can get it a little bit earlier. I'm going to suggest you get it now. Get it pre-ordered so it comes and you are ready to read it. Um, you got something you want to share on the show? Uh, shoot me an email, chip at unconventionalleader.com. And yes, you need to get registered for the conference. It is not too late. A little less than a month until it's time. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. So until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying, we'll keep the laugh on for you. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit LaughBox.AATH.org.